This has got to be a first. This is an intro to an intro. The episode you're about to hear is very unique, and I know I say that sometimes, but I mean it this time. Here's why. I was drugged by my wife, who swears that she told me that she was going to put my anxiety pills in my pill thingy. (laughs) I still am a little drugged. I mean, I'm still on it, but I had some Red Bull, so I feel a little better. But the point of this is that my wife had told me, apparently, and to be honest, I think I do remember now, but she had told me that she was going to put my anti-anxiety pills that are new from my new psychiatrist in my morning pills. I had totally forgotten. And so this next episode is me like totally drugged and out of my mind and not understanding what I'm saying because I'm on these new pills. So now you're going to go to the intro of the intro to the episode that is a little zany because... I just figured out from the future, I'm from the future, the guy you're going to hear in a second is from the past, I just found out that it was because I was drugged. And uh, and so, that's new and different. So the guy you're going to hear next is Jet Dunlap, just like me, but uh, on a lot of anti-anxiety medicine. Or not a lot, but whatever this new stuff is. And I was very unanxious, but I was also uh, at a loss for a couple of words. So enjoy that intro coming up now. If I'm not mistaken, the last line in this episode is just end, Jet, just end, because I was, well, I was dragging it out a little bit, and it was starting to make a lot uh, less sense than I wanted it to. I don't know why. I'm Jet Dunlap. This is psychotherapy. If I'm right about this, it's episode 39. My head screwed on wrong a little bit today, and that's okay, because some days you're going to feel different than you did the day before, because that's life, my friend. I knew I had to do an episode because a lot of stuff's been going on in my life, I haven't done one in like, oh, not a week, but like four days because I've been editing and then I did some stand-up. So this one's a little bit about my stand-up routine. It's a little bit about me judging this guy who uh, looked like a Greek god and was complaining about being addicted to ecstasy, which bothered me. So I rant a little bit on that, but you'll be fine. You'll get through it. It's a little bit about rock and roll. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's a little bit about, uh, well, I'm at a loss here. What is it about, Jet? It's a little bit about doing things good and being better. Oh, yeah. It's about uh, not judging yourself and uh, being real about where you're going and uh, good stuff that's going to help you a lot. So uh, if that doesn't sell you on the episode, this won't either. Uh, I'm Jet Dunlap still, and this is still Psychotherapy, and here's a little music to get you started on that episode. Is it my best? I'm not sure. Here we go. Thank you. what my morning was like. I was asked this morning if I wanted to do a open mic at a friend of mine who is hosting, not at a friend of mine, that would be odd and I don't know how that'd be done, but uh, I was asked if I should do an open mic at his new comedy club called the Comedy Office or if I wanted to do an open mic at a bowling alley in the South Valley. I think if you've listened to this show long enough, uh, the prospect of having to do comedy while people lick their fingers to get the last remaining nacho cheese that they've been missing in their life, whilst also sticking their fingers into random bowling ball holes, I could not give up the opportunity to do an open mic at a bowling alley. So I don't know if I'll do that tonight, but uh, that is something I must do. So I'm going to have to bone up on my bowling jokes. 
I have actually been off mic for a little while. You probably haven't noticed because uh, the episodes you've been listening to were recorded over the weekend, but they were edited this week. So I'm looking at Thursday right now, and I haven't been on mic for a while. That's scary for old Jet because uh, it is a skill of attrition. It is something you can lose the less time you spend on it. Now, another thing that's interesting, before I go into the content of this show, which is about you and for you, this part's going to be a little bit about me. I did an open mic two nights ago. This was Tuesday night. I was kind of thinking about whether or not or when I was going to do my next set. And that is a dangerous piece of territory right there. That is a dangerous real estate spot in your head, okay? When you start to think too much about what you're going to do, when you start to analyze the pros and cons and the best situation, you just got to jump, my friend, because it can become a never-ending story, like that movie, The Never-Ending Story, where my dog Falcor got its namesake. What I'm recommending in this situation is something I did myself, and that was you can't Let those seeds of an idea blossom only in your head. I say all that to say, last week, I didn't do stand-up. And that was because I was trying to work on my tight five. And uh, that's not a weird five-pack stomach that's going to be tight. Oof, chat, don't open with that one. (laughs) Oh, that's not funny. My tight five is me trying to have five minutes that's solid, because that's about how much time you get on the open mic. I got about seven minutes on this last one because uh, there weren't a lot of people there. So it's two weeks ago, I do my first set. So last week I'm thinking, okay, I'm gonna work on getting this down, getting this right. So I don't just go up there and I don't just improv, because I gotta keep building on this set. So five minutes I'll get good, then I'll work another five minutes in the same club, another new five minutes of the same club, till my goal is to get up to 40. Then I'll start shopping the five minutes that I already got down perfect at the other comedy clubs because I don't want to do repetition in the same group. But what started as a legitimate idea of how to structure this thing became an opportunity for me to actually chicken out a little bit because I think last week when I thought that, I thought, okay, this is true and this makes sense and that's fine. The idea was true, it made sense. But my desire not to go up was kind of a weakness and that would have been problematic so this week when i started thinking about oh i still need to get my five minutes set together oh and i didn't even tell you i've been trying to do this and i've told you before that even though comedy stand-up is funny there's nothing less funny to me than writing comedy because then i'm just sitting there with a pen in my hand trying to be funny on purpose i can do that i have a lot of material i found my comedy book that i was looking for for a long time that i've been keeping for 10 years I keep notes in my journal, in my notebook, on my phone. So it's not like I have a lack of ideas, but putting them in a structure that marry each other that sounds good is tough. And here's the toughest part. When I'm doing comedy in front of my wife, she's us in the room. She's heard most of my material, so already she's not the audience you want, right? And then secondarily, it's just me and her in our house. It's not like you hear bowling pins going down and uh, someone sucking nacho cheese off their fingers. I'm just thinking about how gross that is. That's why that image keeps sticking with me. You go into these bowling balls where other people's fingers have been, and I don't even want to say they probably aren't washing their hands when they go to the bathroom because they got to rush back to bowl the rest of their set because that's dire. And then they come over and they stick them in these bowling balls. You're sticking your fingers in those bowling balls, and then you're eating nachos, and you're licking the cheese off your fingers. I don't eat nachos, and I bring hand sanitizer. 
I admit though, when I was a kid, I didn't think about this. Anyway, I digress. So unlike a bowling alley, which is perfect for stand-up comedy, my house with just Gina and I, that's not conducive with stand-up. When I'm doing situational comedy, I have Gina laughing all the time. So my test, my focus of what is good, my barometer of what is good and what is bad, is kind of out of whack, and I get upset. Then I'm angry and frustrated, and that's not funny either. Do I need to tell you? So I'm in the wrong headspace. So finally, Tuesday came along, and Gina had been saying, when are you going to do your next set? And then you're going to do your next set. And she wants to go with me, but I don't want her to go with me, because I like to go in uh, with my hands free, right? These places are mostly masculine. They're mostly a bunch of dudes. And um, it's kind of like a boys club. I mentioned that last time. It's easier for me to go without a beautiful woman with me because she is distracting. The guys are going to treat me differently because she's there. And I don't feel as comfortable to just be myself. I'm not different around Gina, but I have to consider here's this person that I want to make sure is okay and comfortable because I care about her. When I go by myself, it's, it's a totally different situation. So I did end up going by myself on Tuesday night to the same place, the Ha Ha Cafe. And... I was very scared of parking. I got there late and uh, <laughs> you knew that was going to be what I was scared of. I got there late. I couldn't find parking outside. Now, let me tell you what happens in the mind of a dyslexic. And I've been doing a lot of reading on the subject, which is already flawed because of my issue with reading. Who knows how much information is actually getting to me or how much I'm just creating in my head to benefit my own narrative. But what I read was that my brain processes reading on the right side. Most people's processes is on the left side. So I'm processing reading and my cognitive ability and understanding and digesting information that's read is done by my creative side. So where you read something and you see no parking from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., hypothetically and literally where I was, I read that as no parking 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., but maybe that means you also can't park after 6 because it's just, you can't park there. No, it said two-hour parking, 10 a.m. to 6. No, no park. See, do you see what I'm going through right now? I'm so confused. So I'm staring at this sign, like those monkeys in the monolith in uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Wow, that's my second reference to 2001 A Space Odyssey in the last three episodes. Not a movie I even liked. But I'm staring at it, and I don't know what's going on. And just like I would assume someone from a country that is uh, foreign to us, someone who has a language issue i go over to someone who's walking out of a building and i go could you tell me what this sign says like what it means and he's like what do you mean what does it mean he's looking at a guy who speaks perfect perfect he's looking at a guy who speaks perfect english uh he's looking at a guy who speaks perfect english <laughs> better than i am now and he's like what do you mean what does it mean and i'm like well it says no parking 10 a.m to 6 p.m but does that also mean i can't park here here's the other problem there were no cars parked there and there were meters but the meters i guess weren't running very confusing for me i've never understood it i will never understand it my brain just doesn't understand the information so i went around the block couldn't find any other parking had to park there but i was nervous so i'm already 15 minutes late to my set because parking you know remember gina said in the episode where she took me to stand up she did the parking for me in the sense that she said hey jed it's okay this is the same parking spot I don't trust it now because it's up to my brain, my a uh, brain, even though I'm a stable genius like the president. And I always think when he says stable genius that he's like the smartest guy at the horse ranch. Like, well, uh, them horses are over there, but if you want to know a lot of information about stables, you go talk to the stable genius. Like that's a title of uh, a person who works in a stable. 
Okay, so I was already nervous going in, but then I wrote my little jokes, right? Some of them were stuff that I hadn't even written before, but I came up with in the moment, and I went up and I, I actually killed. And I don't mean literally killed, actually killed. Killed is a comedy term for you know doing really well. It's a term for that and other things, but something they use often. I did really well. People were laughing hysterically. I did some improv stuff at the beginning, giving a little bit of a hard time to the comedian who was ahead of me. I went into my jokes on a war on comedy, and then I went right into my jokes about um, when I was a manager at AT&T and how people would call in sick. The jokes hit hard, and they hit well, and my car wasn't towed, so that was a complete success. What happened afterwards was a little funny because I said, okay, I'm going to stay for the next comedian at least. And did I just say that it was a little funny? It wasn't even a little funny. I mean the opposite of that. The next guy comes up and he is, looks like Army Hammer. You know, that guy who's an actor whose name is Army Hammer, whose movies I can't remember right now because I'm on the spot. Uh, what was that name of that one movie? I hope you guys are, I, I'm not going to edit this out. I want to hear you hear me think. Uh, Lone Ranger. That failure of a movie. But he's been in a lot of stuff ever since then. Anywho, he reminded me of Army Hammer, this comedian. He comes up and he's like, well, I want you to know that he's like 6'4", tattooed up. Did you, you know that kind of like muscle and, um, and body frame that you just know came from like the Hamptons or Orange County? Like his dad was a wealthy banker and his mom was a beautiful woman. And that was their professions. And so this guy was created and he's taller than me. He's got like that jawline that could cut bread. He comes up and he's like, just so you know, this isn't going to be funny at all. And I'm like, Jesus, really? Is that how you started your comedy? You jerk off. And he goes, this isn't going to be funny at all because uh, I don't have anything funny to say. I'm just coming up here because someone said it might be helpful for my recovery. And I'm thinking wrong place, dude. You know, I host a show that's kind of like that a little bit, but not not a stand-up club. You're already nervous there because it's it's open mic, so you're not going to have a lot of people that are perfect. But this guy's already warning us that he's not going to be funny at all. And he wasn't. That was a good warning. But at this point, I can't leave because it's right after my set and I look like a jerk. So he goes up and he says, just so you know, first thing, my family is very, very wealthy. And I'm like, oh my God, this guy... I hated him before, now I hate him even more. And he says, I grew up, it was somewhere like Orange County, right? Like, Hermosa, and I love going to bitch. And uh, so he, he proceeds to say that he was addicted to, get ready for this, ecstasy. He was addicted to ecstasy. How do you get addicted to ecstasy? And I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus there who's addicted to ecstasy, okay? Because... Uh, I'm sure any substance can be addictive. I literally was addicted to like break and bake cookies for a while. Like I had to, <laughs> I was shooting them into my veins. No, but it was something I wanted to have all the time. So not addicted, but I, I liked it. Okay, whatever. This isn't about break and bakes. I'm a little judgy on the ecstasy, but ecstasy feels like a party drug. So being addicted to it is a little humorous to me. Anyway, so then he says, then I tried to get off ecstasy by drinking. And I thought, wow, this guy has not seen a movie. He hasn't talked to a person. He hasn't done... How does he think drinking is going to get you off something? Like, That's a perfect plan. So he starts drinking, right? And uh, then he says, I really like to beat people up. He's like 6'4". I don't know how to put it. Like a white bully in an 80s movie is what he looks like, right? So he's, he's, he's this evil guy, and he's talking about how he likes to beat people up when he got drunk. And then he says, I swear, 
And then I got tired of just beating people up with my fists, so I started using weapons. This guy's got to be in his late 20s, early 30s. He didn't make a joke, but here's, the, here's something that makes this whole thing even worse. He took 10 minutes. 10 minutes he talked about himself. Yeah, he didn't even go to the recovery. He was just telling everyone about like who he was and, and uh, what he did. I don't think this pertains to anyone. I'm just complaining about that guy. But I went up and did stand-up that night, and I did it well. And I didn't wait to do it. I, I went out there, and, and I made it happen. So that was good. Enough of this guy that clearly I have some issues with. Is it jealousy? It's probably jealousy. I wish I could have been addicted to ecstasy. It sounds like it was fun. He also, of course, talked about how many women he was sleeping with and all that stuff. It seemed like a lot of humble bragging. Here's the point. Don't go to a comedy club and be depressing. Everyone there is already depressed. They're trying to work on their dreams, Fulio. Let us have some laughs, bro. Slip on a banana at the end, at least. Then we'll have a good chuckle. That's what we're there for. We're not there to hear about your issues. We're here to escape ours. I'm a little rusty. I already mentioned that. <laughs> a little rusty. I just pictured a kid named Rusty. I think one of the things that's going on with this comedy and an exercise that's actually helping me is this. I have had to start again. And that's pretty cool if you have the right mindset. Because I think what's going on right now, and this happens in adults, but especially people who are a little younger too, we want the thing before the work. So I would love to go up on stage and have 5,000 people at some giant like theater, right? And just laughing at everything I say and just have the skills to pay the bills, baby. Go up there and just kill. Again, not murder, but make people laugh. Have them rolling in the aisles, man. But not because I poisoned them, but because I made them laugh. Do you get it? It's about humor. I want that. And of course, like everyone, I want that yesterday. But I grew up in a cool time, and maybe it's not even my age, because there's young guys out there, young gals out there, that I knew the effort would have to come first, and that you wouldn't be good at first. I wasn't looking for fame for the sake of fame. I don't want to be a stand-up comedian because it'll make me famous. Being famous in stand-up comedy would be great, because then A, I'm getting paid, and B, I can do more of it, right? But I know that I have to go to these open mics and listen to these people like the guy I just talked about and muscle through it, you know, and make the best of it. And fortunately, I have a show like this to have fun in the retelling and enjoy the journey because, you know, people are always writing quotes about how the journey is so great, man. I've been on some journeys that suck, that just suck. But that's not a very good quote, is it? But you have to realize that this idea that is promoted in mass volumes on social media, on TV, commercials, even movies, fame for fame's sake or insta-fame, right? I want to be recognized as a celebrity before I've ever done anything. I met a girl on set who said, I do this, I do that, I do this, and I'm an influencer. Now, that is interesting to me because isn't it up to me whether she's an influencer? And she was an aspiring influencer, by the way, too. And which to me just means you're influenced. But the idea of an influencer is someone that you look at their lifestyle and you go, I want their lifestyle. And you are influenced enough to try and follow that. 
that infects even men in their 40s if you're on instagram or facebook or any of that stuff we think we're immune to this stuff oh yeah dun, dun, dun. is that uh what's that guy who sang that song in the 80s damn it i forgot his name his name is robert palmer and the song was addicted to love and i totally didn't just stop the recording to do that to go on my tangent okay i just had that on the top of my head forget any sound variants you heard but it's this idea that you are supposed to be great at something before you start. I went to Weight Watchers three years ago, okay? And when I went in there, I was a big, fat, drunken tub of goo. And you can't judge me for saying that because I was referring to myself. So any of it is just self-hatred, right? So it's not judgmental to any of those groups that are <laughs> the fat tub of goo groups. They're going to come out, we're the fat tub of goo and we don't like what you're saying, you jerko. I'll be like, I was one of you. Anyway, I walked in. And I knew what I had done to get myself in that situation was unique. So what I'd have to do to get myself out of that situation would have to be equally unique. So going to a room full of women who are mostly in their 50s and 60s, it's a group that's mostly middle-aged women, and uh, sucking up my pride and going, hey, listen, if I was able to do this on my own, I would have. And I haven't been able to. And I've told you the story, but for those of you new listeners to the radio... I one time had my group leader, she said, Rose, the lovely Rose, she said, lose three pounds a month. That's all I want you to do. She'd gone through all these courses, all these great little tricks and tips and stuff, but then finally she just came down to you, lose three pounds a month. Can you do that? I thought, three pounds a month, man? I used to be able to lose three pounds in two days, bro. You don't know me. And I wasn't able to for three months. I like went up, went down a little bit, but I never got consistently under three pounds. And I thought, What's going on, man? What's happening to you? So I had to redouble my efforts and lose three pounds, then lose another three pounds. And now if you looked at me, you'd be like, oh, okay, wow, this guy's not been fat in his whole life unless you listen to my show and look at my social media. But let's assume you don't do that. You'd think, oh, he's always in shape. But people forget the journey that took me there, and that was three years. The first year was brutal. I was hungry and I was fat. I was hungry going to the gym and I was fat. I was running and I was fat. I had pictures of me in my running gear and I'm like bursting out of it, muffin topping. Like a muffin top, I was gonna say? You can't use an analogy to the thing that's already a thing, Jet. I was muffin topping like a muffin top. I was DJ muffin top, meow, 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 meow. But I did it, I stayed with it, right? I kept going. Because I've had enough experience at this age that A plus B equals C. And sometimes that journey is more difficult than immediate. Sometimes it takes a long time, but it'll happen. So I'm rediscovering that again, starting comedy, but I have a muscle that has benefited me in the fact that I am used to being bad at something. I am used to the idea that I'm gonna start and I'm not gonna be good, like rock climbing last year, or weight loss three years ago, which I'm still working on constantly. I mean, I can't eat cookies. I can't eat sugary drinks. I mean, it's not like the things that got me to where I am were dismissed. I'm a vegetarian, doesn't drink alcohol, all those things. And now I feel better and I get to enjoy a different quality of life and I enjoy that, but my point is is that this idea that we will instantly be changed in some kind of montage moment into a new person is ridiculous. And the people we look at and go, I want to be this, I want to be that, that usually causes a negative effect, right? So that idea that used to exist, I remember Gina had read something about how if you put up, and I, I'd seen the same thing, pictures of people in your cabinet, <laughs> not just anyone, but like the fitness uh, that you want to obtain. So Gina had these pictures of these models and everything. Now she's far beyond them. 
I think I was supposed to put pictures of buff guys up, but I didn't like the idea of <laughs> magazine cutouts of buff guys on the cabinet. But the idea was you open the cabinet to get some food and there you're presented with this person on the inside of the cabinet who your goal is, right? And then you go, wait a second, I'm not going to grab that brownie mix. I want to look like that beautiful buff dude <laughs> that's on the inside of my cabinet. But um, the idea was to strive for that, right? So now we look at people though and we go, I want to be that instantly or I hate them. And you stick with these judgments. They're judgy. I want to be exactly who I am and I want to hate the people who are where I want to be, right? And then there's this, I love the skin I'm in and don't hate me because I'm this, that, and the other thing. Don't judge me. And then people go online and they search. They search for people and there are, there are idiots everywhere, guys. I mean, there's so many people on this earth and so many people in this country who are willing to say stupid stuff either to be on TV or they're just crazy. You want to go search racist videos, you're going to find them. You want to find fat shaming, you'll find it. But here's the thing, unless it's happening to you in your direct life, why are we looking for it, man? Why are we looking for that? Just put your eye on your goal and continue. And if you love the skin you're in, that's fine. I will warn you, though, when Lee Jeans, if that's a company, I think that's a company that uh, is advertising jeans right now, or Dove Soap, or one of those companies say to you, love the skin you're in. It's not because they love you. <laughs> I hate to break that to you. They don't know you. They don't care. If you are looking at apparel that is encouraging you to be a certain size, that is because I'm from the marketing and advertising side. I hope this doesn't blow your mind. They make more money on people who are heavier because you vary in size. So you're going to buy more product. What? Jet? There's an ulterior motive? Yes. Same thing with any other product that's saying you're okay. I will tell you this. When I was heavy, when I was 210 pounds, I didn't love the skin I was in. Right? I didn't think I was, you know, heavy and beautiful. That didn't mean I disliked myself or anyone else who was, you know, out of shape or heavy. It's because I felt the physical consequences of it. And I knew, looking down the barrel of the rest of my life, what it was going to bring. And I didn't believe the lies the advertising and marketing, the people around me who are like, I love the way you are. There's always some kind of ulterior motive. What you want to be as a human is a person who's not afraid to test new boundaries, who's not afraid to start all over again, you know, because that's how we grow as humans. And a person who says, here's where I am, here's where I want to be. Instead of putting all this effort into hating people who are judging me or not judging me, looking for people who are judging other people who I think I relate to, work on yourself. Work on feeling better. And here's what feeling better is, okay? Going to the doctor's office and the doctor's saying you're in great shape. I mean, is the doctor fat shaming you if they say you're obese? Is that fat shaming? When my doctor said I needed to lose weight because my blood sugar was high, I didn't slap the guy and go, you're a horrible guy, guy. Wow, Jesus, I'm really tired. I didn't say you're a horrible guy, guy. I didn't. I said, okay, thank you for the info. Don't be afraid of doing the things you've always wanted to do and don't start loving your insecurities. That's what it is, man. So when I had all these fears of doing stand-up, when I didn't want to start a podcast because I was afraid of moments like that just happened where I'm like, oh, what if I sit there and I don't know what to say? Did you die when I didn't know what to say? Did you get sad when I didn't know what to say? You didn't care, right? 
So I'm here to tell you through example that when I have these issues with these insecurities, like I'm not going to record a podcast today because I have nothing to say and I do it. It's not that I'm trying to give you guys bad info or give you a bad show. It's that I must stay consistent. And I believe everything I've ever recorded has some kind of content in it that's going to, you know, that's going to resonate, <laughs> residualate, is going to resonate with someone out there, right? But you have to stay with it. You have to keep going. And I don't want you to become a product of your insecurities. So when I was saying I didn't want to do a podcast or I didn't want to do stand-up, I had elegant, beautiful little reasons, right? Here's my one for podcasting. Why would I do a podcast? Everyone has a podcast. I could do a humorous podcast, but what is that? Just another stupid humorous podcast? The world doesn't need that. And then someone inherently would agree with me. And then I got to own my insecurity. I don't want to be a stand-up comedian because I don't want to just go up there and tell the same jokes every time and have to listen to the same jokes every time. And then my biggest my biggest little joke button at the end of that was, I don't want to bring joy to the world, which was like a joke in context where I'm like, I don't want to make people happy, jokingly, right? And I stuck with that for years. Because, I mean, the truth was, I was just insecure, and I was lying to myself. I pretended like it was a part of my personality that couldn't be reversed. Because I didn't want to do it. Because I was a scared... Because I was a scared... Because I was a scared of doing it. Okay? I did not want to do it. That's why I said a scared. I didn't screw up. I never screw up. I was a scared, okay? I meant to say it that way. Because I was a scared. I don't want you to be a scared. Let's us... Okay, look at the sober truth of where we are. My friends who privately call me about weight loss or substance abuse or what's going on in their relationships, and I'll never name their names. And you're thinking I'm going to name their names and I was tempted, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to name their names. They call me because they hurt. In the wee hours of the night, when they're going to bed, they hurt. And what they do the rest of the day on social media to defend their size or defend their substance abuse. Like I see a lot of people put up there, it's beer 30 or, you know, life's too hard without drinking, all these quotes, right? But I know what they're really saying because I've talked to these people. Don't believe your bullshit, okay? You know who you are when there's no one around. You feel what you feel. Be honest with that. Because for things to change, you must change. You've heard that before. You must change. Do it to go to the doctor's office and them just give you a thumbs up. Do it to live longer so you can see more time. Do it so it doesn't hurt when you get out of bed. Hurt when you sit in your car. I've been there. I know what it's like. Do it so that your spouse or significant other is sexually attracted to you again. When I was a personal trainer, most of the men who came to me, that's what they said. One of the guys who ended up getting a divorce, his wife ended up leaving him, he said it all started when he started not caring about how he looked. And his wife started to not be sexually attracted to him. But I understand it. Once you stop looking into that and start defending your excuses, the quality of who you are may be in jeopardy. And you know it in your heart. And you can work on it. And you can change things. Because you're not any worse than me, dude. Listen to me. I just called you dude and guy. And a lot of women are listening to this. So I'm a dumb, dumb head. I can do it. You can do it. I want to help you, man. Well, man, and I'm doing stand-up comedy, and I'm doing a podcast, and I'm writing a book, and I can barely write. I'm doing all these things that I shouldn't be able to do. I'm a slow runner. I ran 14 miles, and I ran 10 miles. Because I like pushing the envelope of this life. I don't know what you believe in, and you know that I care, but it doesn't matter to me. We are here to expand the experience of our life and be good to others. 
And that starts by, I hate to say it, by living your truth. Not the cliche, not what you hear in your head that's made fun of. But living your truth to me is living with what your heart tells you to do, right? And I feel a little, I don't know, the younger person in me thinks it's lame to say, do what your heart tells you to do. It sounds like the end of Titanic or something. But I know that when I follow that gut feeling, uh, gut feels better, that's manly. When I feel that gut feeling, I feel better about my day. I go and I write in my journal every night, you know this, and I go, yeah, I did it right. I went up on stage when most wouldn't, when even I wouldn't, and I told some jokes. And I took risks. And that's cool, man. That's, <laughs> woman, that's what we're here for. So I'm not going to apologize for how random this episode is, but I will say I'm not going to apologize like I do all the time. You've been listening to Psychotherapy. Thank you for listening. You're the best. You look great. Start from there. You're incredible. You've got ears to listen to this. So you're already... <laughs> Oh my God, just end, Jet. Just end. I'm Jet Dunlap. This is Psychotherapy. Oh, thanks for listening. <laughs>